0: Hey Anna, remember that time Haley's Comet brought Mark Twain into the world and took
1: him out of it? Um. I'm your host, Anna Webb.
0: And I'm your host, Amanda Webb. This is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out on all their favorite moments in history. And I have the beginning of the school year cold, <laughs> so apologies in advance for whatever's going on here. It's not that <laughs> bad yet, but it is kicking in. Yep.
1: Tis here the we season.
0: Are. Tis the season. Yeah. And the fact that it's been a week and I'm only just now feeling it is frankly a miracle. So yeah, right?
1: That's true. That's a good I'll point. take
0: it. I will take it.
1: Tis truly the season because I put out my Halloween decor this weekend.
0: I was only waiting because my, fr- my friend's birthday was yesterday and she is um, very adamant that she has a summer birthday, which is so uh, fair. Okay. So we fair have enough. been waiting to I put mean, fall out. Yes. That is we true. have been waiting to put fall out until after her birthday. So that will be today or tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: funny. I ordered new stuff. So I was like, I'm just going to put it all out. Good for you. Yeah. Would you like a drink update? I'd love one. I'm having some coffee because we're morning recording today.
0: We are. I and rolled like, right
1: out of bed and into this recording, I'll tell you what. <laughs> we're morning recording
0: last minute, so the likelihood that yeah. this podcast will be late is high.
1: Yeah, we're yeah, we're kind of close this week. Yeah. Um, it's fine. <laughs> well, due to
0: the aforementioned cold, yeah. I'm drinking water.
1: Yeah, good. That's classic. Yeah, help me out. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> All right. So (laughs) today
0: sorry you said "Eh, (coughs) all right let's do it um so today we were talking about mark twain because boy howdy did he have a fascinating life he
1: sure did
0: the man did a little bit of everything um
1: that is so true he really mm -hmm. did
0: (laughs) yeah that is that is mostly why i picked him as a topic because like i'm not like super into his writing or anything i love huck finn genuinely i love huck finn but um it's not like this was, like, an important part of my childhood or anything like that. Like, you know, he, I didn't read Huckbett until college. But he is such character. an interesting dude. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about him. Yep. So he's born Samuel Longhorn Clemens.
1: I love that name.
0: Yeah. Um, so he's born on November 30th, 1835 in Florida, Missouri, to Jane and John Clemens. And we will mention this again later. But he is born two weeks after Halley's Comet passes Earth. Right. Um, so It's very just,
1: important to his life.
0: Yes, it is. But, you know, that only happens every 74 years? Se-
1: yeah. 70-something. I think it's 74. I have to look it up now. 75? 75 to 76 years. Okay. Yep.
0: Within that range.
1: Yeah.
0: Um he is the 6th of 7 children. Uh but only 3 of his siblings survived childhood, oh, that which is, is typical of podcast. the era. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> you said the era I said our podcast.
0: <laughs> yep. Both are accurate. Yeah. When he's 4, his family moves to Hannibal, Missouri, which ends up being a pretty important like moment yeah. of his childhood because the towns that um tom sawyer and huckleberry finn are set in are based off of this town it was a port town on the missouri it was like a smaller town um missouri in the 1800s so the peak of slavery in the south like all of this is relevant to his works uh his father dies of pneumonia in 1847 when he's 11 years old so the next year he leaves school like in like 5th grade um to become a printer's apprentice. I assume to help his family make money cuz yes. his oldest brother is a little bit older and like out of the house at this point. So like
1: has his own probably I his
0: th- own I think um there. we'll talk about him more in a little bit but I feel like he I feel like he was already out of the house
1: at this point. Printer's apprentice is a tongue twister. I will tell you what.
0: Printer's apprentice. Printer's it's apprentice. it sounds nice on the tongue. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Um so he does that for several years and then in eighteen fifty five, he or sorry, eighteen fifty one, goodness. He starts working as a I was like where? He starts working as a typesetter for a newspaper that his brother Orion owns. Orion. Yeah. So that's where I was saying old name. Yes, he did. That's where I was saying I was pretty sure his brother was already out of the house. Now this isn't until he's eighteen, so he's a printer's apprentice for like several years. And then (laughs) (laughs) sorry. Um when he's 18, he leaves Hannibal and he works as a printer in New York, Philadelphia, St. Louis and Cincinnati. So he's like going around
1: Great
0: cities. And he is a part of the International Topographical Union, which is oh. a printers trade union.
1: Ooh.
0: Um so he's a, he is a he's pro labor his whole life. Yeah. Unions are important to him. Um we'll talk a lot about a lot of his different like political leanings and things like that because there sure are a lot of them but he was (laughs) he was pro-union like from a very young age that has always been a position that he held um and because he had left school so early he like educates himself just in public libraries in the evenings and just that's how he learns uh his dream when he is a young man is to become a pilot on a steamboat no it was Apparently, the dream of all the children in the area, <laughs> which makes sense. You know, yeah. they're growing up on the Mississippi. Um, yeah. They see these steamboats. Steamboats are like the main type of trade in that region at that time. And pilots made a lot of money. Yeah. They made a like lot of money. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was the dream. Um, so the steamboat pilot Horace E. Bixby, which is mm-hmm. quite the name, um takes him on as a cub pilot and teaches him the river between New Orleans and St. Louis. Uh he for like $500. That's wow. his pay. Yeah. Um
1: That's a lot.
0: Yeah. They made a lot of money. They made yeah. a lot of money. They But that's they a are, lot to yeah. give
1: your little like apprentice.
0: Piece. Yeah. Um he gets his pilot's license 2 years later. And this is where his pen name comes from. So he, you know, he still works for newspapers occasionally and has been writing on and off during that time and had used a couple of different pen names. But the one that we know, Mark Twain, is a sounding term. So sounding is like telling the depths of something. And, um, the... Mark Twain, marking is saying how low it is, and Twain means right. two fathoms, which was the safe distance for oh, the steamboat okay. to be able to go down the river. So if the river was at least two fathoms deep, it could sail safely. So oh, okay. Mark Twain would be what they would say to say it, they were safe to sail, uh, basically. Interesting. So that's where his the term comes from, Mark Twain. Huh, cool. I think it's really interesting. Um, he convinces his other younger brother Henry to work on the steamboat with him. But on June thirteenth, or sorry, eighteen fifty-eight. Goodness, uh, the steamboat that they were working on, the boiler explodes, oh. and Henry is injured in that explosion, and then he dies because of his wounds on June twenty-first.
1: Wow.
0: Yeah, but here. So here's the crazy thing. He claimed to have foreseen his death in a dream a month before. So, like, Wait, he thought he... so
1: Mark Twain did?
0: Yes, had had foreseen his brother's death and in a dream. And still
1: said, come and work on this... Well,
0: I, they, he was already working on the steamboat. Oh, okay. And at that point, and so he, I, I'm sure, in that moment, thought, ah, oh, a nightmare. How weird. And then that is how his brother died. Um, and so this is what makes him interested in parapsychology, sure. um, like he, which he was very deeply into yeah, for a while. Was. Um, and he's like, he becomes a member of the Society for Physical Research, um, which was Psychical like an early, uh, yeah, sorry. Um, which was an early parapsychology, like, yeah. organization. Yeah. Interesting. Isn't that so interesting? I thought that was wild. Uh so he keeps working as a steamboat pilot until the Civil War begins in 1861 because that is um when the when travel on the
1: Mississippi starts to get really restricted. Right, sure.
0: He briefly mm. joins a local Confederate unit unit, but it disbands before anything happens and genuinely even at this point the views of the Confederacy were against his own. But I am so sure but it was he just there. he lived there, yeah. everybody was joining, there was a local unit unit, he joined the local unit, and then oh, the immediately nothing happened. It. Yeah. Yeah. He one of his short stories is about the unit like being created and disbanded within the series of like two weeks. Like
1: Yikes.
0: Yeah. Um Shortly during this time, his brother, Orion, becomes the secretary to the Nevada Territory governor um, in 1861. So he moves out west with his brother.
1: So he said, forget this war. Yep. I'm actually out.
0: <laughs> yep. Yep. His brother okay. was moving out west. He did not have any interest in fighting that war. He went with him. So they move out west in okay. the 1860s. Um, and through that journey, he lands in Virginia City, Nevada. Which was, at the time, booming because of a silver vein. So he becomes a silver miner very briefly. (laughs) (laughs) Fails at it quickly. Um, (laughs) And then he moves on to... Sorry, I lost my spot. Okay. Uh, He then moves on to work for the Virginia City newspaper, the Territorial Enterprise. So he goes back into working for a newspaper. This is the first time he uses his pen name for uh, a story published in this paper. Yeah. On February 3rd, 1863, he writes, Letter from Carson, read Joe Goodman, party at Governor Johnson's... Uh, It's... I don't... Yeah. I don't know. It's just a letter in the newspaper. It's like a a comical little piece, and it's the first time he uses Mark Twain. I think
1: it was meant to be like a... Like a mock, like diary entry or something. Yeah. Like that. Yes. Yeah. So he's saying, Joe Goodman party at Governor Johnson's music, and then he's writing about his experience at this yeah. Like, fictional, yeah, event.
0: Event. Yeah. Um, we will talk more about a couple more of his pieces of writing in a little bit, but he writes a lot about his experiences in the West. So his experiences here inspire "Roughing It." which he writes in the 1870s. And then um, he moves to San Francisco in 1864 and is in Calveras County. Is that right?
1: Uh, I have no idea. (laughs) Um,
0: (laughs) Anyway, Calveras County, California. He lives there for a little while. And that is what inspires his first very successful piece of writing, which is called The Celebrated Jumping Frog of Calveras County. Um, it was published on November 18th, 1865 in the New York Weekly paper, The Su- the Saturday Press. Um, and so this is kind of what like starts him with a career in writing. Right. So he had been writing pieces for newspapers for a while. This one is very popular. So it kicks off for him. Uh, so then he is working for a few different newspapers in the area, and one of them sends him as a reporter to Hawaii, which at the time is still the Sandwich Islands, right? Um, we and then it yet. yep. <laughs> uh, and then another paper later sends him to Europe and the middle Middle East. The
1: middle so he
0: East? the Middle East. <laughs> Sorry, I has snot in my throat. Leedle, I'm ill. Leedle,
1: leedle. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um. Yeah, so he starts traveling around this time. Right. Um, and on his trip to Europe, he meets Charles Langdon, who, like, shows him a picture of his sister, Olivia, just, I assume, as they're talking about their families or whatever. And he claims he falls in love at first sight um, okay. of the I picture. I don't
1: know if you, okay.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, who yeah. is he? Henry VIII?
0: Oh, my God. <laughs>
1: and then he's going to see her and be like, ugh, it doesn't look like it did in the picture.
0: Well, at least it's 1865 and it is an actual picture. <laughs> Not
1: a painting. Yeah, so yeah. that's
0: promising. <laughs> a better start at the very least. Yeah. Um... So him and Olivia start corresponding in 1868. She rejects his first mar- marriage proposal, but they are they keep talking, and eventually he like wins over her family. Um, and they get married in Elmira, New York, in 1870.
1: I feel like that happens a lot, where the in these stories, where the it's always like she initially rejected his proposal, and it's like, girl, you should have just stuck with your instincts. I swear to God. If you reject their yeah. proposal, there's probably a reason. Yeah, <laughs> not so always the case. Yeah, but yeah, and a lot of the time it's like, and then their marriage was terrible, and it's like, okay, yeah. well, <laughs> trust your instincts, gals. That's all I'm saying. Trust your instincts.
0: Um, a lot of time when we read about these secondhand though, that um, that phrase rejects the proposal really means my dad said no.
1: Yeah, or like, you know. I just want us to be in the same city or I just want us to, you know, like I, I'm not yeah. really ready yet. A lot of the mm-hmm. times, like I will, but not right now. Right. Yeah.
0: Which is more the case for this marriage. Yeah. Luckily for us, <laughs> for us sitting here talking about it.
1: Right. <laughs>
0: um, I thought this quote was really interesting. It just talks about like the way that her family kind of influenced his belief. Uh, it says she came from a wealthy, but liberal family. Uh, through her, he met abolitionists, socialists, principled atheists, and activists for women's rights and social equality, including Harriet Beecher Stowe and Fre- Frederick Douglass. Yeah, both good ones. Um, and they end up being actually pretty co- close friends with Harriet Beecher Stowe, so yeah. the whole thing had, uh, had an effect, you know? They live in Buffalo, New York, after they're married. He owns a stake and he writes and edits for the Buffalo Express while they're there. Mm-hmm. Through the course of their marriage, they have four children together. The first one is Langdon, who does not survive childhood. And then Susie, Clara, and Jean are their daughters who you know, grow up there together. Uh, they're they are married all the way until she dies in nineteen oh four. So there, There is really not a lot of drama with the family. For she once. travels with him and um, their children all travel together. So I'm mostly just throwing that in because I will forget to get to it at the end. Um, <laughs> so they stay together for a good long time. Uh, in 1873, the family moves to Hartford, Connecticut and begins building their home there. And that's still there. It's very yep. famous for being oh. their home. Uh, And while they're there, they spend 17 years in Hartford, and this is where he does most of his most famous writing.
1: Right. Part of why the house is so famous. Yes,
0: indeed. Uh, He writes, during this period, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, The Prince and the Pauper, Life on the Mississippi, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, and A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court
1: always forget about that one
0: yeah so <laughs> big important famous pieces written yeah. during this period of his life uh he has a v- he's very very interested in science and technology and he's really close friends with my favorite guy nikola man. Man, tesla my favorite my favorite alien they're besties
1: <laughs> my favorite little guy
0: hmm um I thought this was really interesting. He he has patents for three invention inventions over the course I knew of his this. life.
1: Yes. Um.
0: One is an improvement in adjustable and detachable straps for garments. So it's just like a different type of suspenders, basically. Right. Uh, a history trivia game. Yeah. And a self-pasting scrapbook. So there's dried adhesive on the pages, and you just have to wet it before you use it, and then you put the stuff on it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, those are his three patents for inventions. I love that. What a fascinating guy. (laughs)
1: Um,
0: I thought this was really interesting. This is way later in his life, but it is relevant to the conversation. In 1909, Thomas Edison visits him and, uh, films him. And part of the footage ends up being used for a two reel short film of The Prince and the Pauper. Right, yeah. And it is the only known existing film footage of him. Shot and it was filmed Thomas by Thomas Edison. My his favorite besties, guy's worst enemy. His he's yeah. enemy. just think that's wild. <laughs> that the only film footage we have of him was filmed by Thomas Edison. And how much what do you
1: think Thomas Edison's like? I have the only footage. Because you know, he loved yep. to talk about how he was the only one to have things. He
0: was the only man ever.
1: He (laughs) He was the first, the last, and the in between. Listen, this
0: is a Thomas Edison hate club. If you're not with us, you're against us.
1: (laughs) If Thomas Edison has zero haters,
0: we're I'm dead. (laughs) Uh, so, at this point, he is a very successful author. He makes a very decent living off of his work. But he invests so much of his money into these new scientific inventions mm-hmm. that it causes a lot of financial troubles sure. for his family. So, he invests, like, really heavily into this new setting machine that was supposed to be all the rage. But it is made completely obsolete before it's finished. Um, so he lost a lot. Like basically, he invested in the wrong th- company. Essentially, yeah, that's uh, the danger
1: of this time. So much is yeah. being invented and innovated, and it's happening so quickly that they're just all of these little operations inventing. It's a race things, to see just, which one comes yeah, they're first. Just passing each other, yeah. kind of back and forth.
0: So he loses a ton of money on that. He creates a publishing house, the Charles L. Webster Company. Um, that does okay for a little while, but then starts to lose success, and so he loses a lot of money on that as well. Um, and so he moves to Europe with his family in June of 1891, basically, like, to escape his creditors. Um, and to try and earn some money over there He's to like Michael then Scott, send back. China. Yeah, Yep. Never coming back.
1: <laughs> he declared bankruptcy, and then...
0: <laughs> not yet. We have not... He has not yet con- declared bankruptcy. No. Spoiler, he will. <laughs> Um never also part of the reason never back. <laughs> Also part of the reason that they go to Europe is cuz he and all of his family are having some like health problems at that this time. So they oh, think sure. that the European baths are going to yes, help well. with that.
1: Classic. Just get out of the country and get some sun. Mm-hmm. I don't know that Europe is the best place to get sun, but there are it other sure,
0: reasons. yeah. There. there are places in Europe that are great sure. for getting some sun. Some places, yes, of yeah. course.
1: Go to the sea. That's what they used to do. Go to the sea.
0: Yes, indeed. Uh, they spend most of their time in France, Germany, and Italy until about 1895, but he frequently has to return to New York to deal with his financial troubles. Well,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so he keeps writing and he also starts lecturing a lot, so that helps him earn money. Uh... And he also becomes friends with this standard oil finance guy, um, Henry Huddleston Rogers. Um, they become friends in 1893, and he helps him figure out his money, basically. So he, Rogers makes him file for bankruptcy in Sorry. April of 1894, and then has him transfer all of his copyrights to his wife. So that his creditors could not claim his copyrights, which was really, smart. really smart. Yes. Um, because that and would have that he, sucked.
1: It, that he transferred it to his wife. Like, can you imagine if he had transferred it, like, to this guy? Yeah. What would have yeah. happened?
0: Yeah. That's you how know? you could tell that this guy actually was in it to help him.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah.
0: He went, okay, what you're going to do is you're going to file for bankruptcy, but when you do, you're going to give all your stuff to your wife. Right. And then it stays in your family and it's no big deal. Right. Um, and then, Rogers just takes charge of his money until all his credits are paid. So he says, he says, your finances go through me. I will pay off your debtors. You don't have to worry about it. It is essentially out of his hands at this point. As it should
1: be. Because he's clearly not good with money.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, However, he still feels like he should be responsible for helping in that. Like he doesn't need to, he is making the uh, amount of money he needs to pay off his creditors In the long term. But he decides in July of 1895 to go on an around the world lecture tour to pay off the last of his debts. Mm -hmm. So he wants to just take the money from this and send it right into that and pay off the last of his debts. He wants to be done of it. Uh, So he does this full, like, around the world journey. He starts in uh, America and British Columbia until August. And then he goes across the Pacific. He stops in... Well, he was going to stop in Hawaii, but then there was a cholera epidemic, so he hmm. couldn't go there. Um, he goes to Fiji, Australia, New Zealand, Sri Lanka, India, uh, Mauritius. Is that how you say that?
1: I've never known how to say that. Okay, I'm great. So sorry. Um, sorry to this man. I've never yeah. known how to say that.
0: <laughs> um, and South Africa. Uh his time he spends in I- India ends up being the inspiration for his book Following the Equator.
1: Yeah.
0: From this whole journey. Uh then long July
1: 18
0: 18- Yeah. Well, long journey <laughs> yeah, he well, makes okay. here. Um in July of 1896, he goes back to England and this completes his circumnavigation of the world that he had started 14 months before. Crazy. Isn't that wild?
1: Yes. It like is. I, don't, I, don't
0: think I like logically knew that he had circumnavigated the globe.
1: Yeah, they don't. People don't talk about it because it wasn't like an and it exploration wasn't, or an yeah. Expedition. Like, he wasn't, he wasn't an setting
0: out to or do an that.
1: Yeah. He wasn't trying to explore those places. He was. He just was just going, going on a lecture a job, tour. Basically. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's so interesting. Um, he, he and his family live in Europe for four more years after this. His daughter, Jean, is in poor health at this time. Uh, they stay in Vienna for a long time because it's supposed to be the city of doctors at oh, right, this yeah. period. Um, but they're not finding any help there. And they moved to London in 1899 and end up meeting this Swedish osteopathic practitioner. Hmm. Um, osteopathy was a big thing at yeah. this time. It was. It's like... The concept of it is basically, like, releasing pressure from your body, right? Like, right, I don't know yeah. how else to describe that. Yeah. Um, it's, like,
1: pre-chiropractic.
0: Yeah, but a all still, like, uh, fundamental misunderstandings of the body. Yeah, and a little bit
1: woo-woo still. And I don't yeah, see yeah. that as a bad thing. I mean, look, I'm into witchcraft. I've, I feel like woo-woo is not really an insult, necessarily, yeah. unless you're trying to use it as medicine and, yes. and that it can be dangerous right? yeah
0: um but this was very popular at this period osteopathy yeah. was very popular
1: it's so- also a time when like different types of medical practices are trendy like yeah because we're still trying to figure a lot of things out and learning a lot of things and so there would be these like trends of yes. certain medical practices mm-hmm. i mean we all know what that is like right like yeah, if you've ever visited something that was once an asylum, you know what that is like.
0: Yeah, right? yeah. Um, so they actually end up going. This guy Kellen Kelgren, Kelgren, I guess. Yeah. Um, he has this sanatorium in a Swedish town, and they go and live there for a little while, and it seems to help. Uh, but he's wanting to move back to America, and they find that there are osteopathic. Um, practitioners there, so it, like, convinces him that it is okay to do that. So, in 1900, he pays off the last of his debts, he finds somebody who can work with his daughter, and they move back to America. They live in Manhattan. And then, at this time, he becomes a staunch anti-imperialist.
1: Yeah, that tracks. Uh, In
0: 1901, he becomes the vice president of the Anti-Imperialist League of New York, which work... Um, (laughs) but I thought this was really interesting. I want, like, this is the first part of history that I teach to my kids Mm -hmm. is, um, America's imperialist endeavors in the Pacific. And I would love to just read this quote to them from him. It's long, (laughs) but it's really good because he was very pro-imperialist when he was younger. So he takes a hard turn. That makes sense he takes a hard turn so I like this quote because it like explains his hard turn so um I'm just gonna read the whole thing I wanted the American Eagle to go screaming into the Pacific why not (laughs) spread its wings over the Philippines I asked myself I said to myself, Here are people who have suffered for three centuries. We can make them as free as ourselves, give them a government and a country of their own, put a miniature of the American Constitution afloat in the Pacific, start a brand new republic to take its place among the free nations of the world. It seemed to me a great task to which we had addressed ourselves. Oh, hold on. Delilah's scratching at the door. One moment. Is it Delilah or is it M? Let's find out. <laughs> I forgot about that. I think it's Delilah. It was Delilah. (laughs) She's
1: in. Yep. Okay. Where was
0: I? Oh, I found it. All right. Um, But I have thought some more since then and have read carefully the Treaty of Paris and have seen we do not intend to free but to subjugate the people of the Philippines. Mm. We have gone there to conquer, not to redeem. It should, it seems to me, be our pleasure and duty to make these people free and let them deal with their own domestic questions in their own way. And so I am anti an anti-imperialist. I am opposed to having the eagle put its talons on any other land.
1: Ooh, I like that. Oh no, it's cutting. <laughs> That's good. I mean, hey, he's, he's a writer, right?
0: yeah oh and he's got all kinds of like really excellent writing about all of his political beliefs like he's got good stuff about labor and like it's all very interesting but i just i don't know i liked that the way that described his turn yeah um now to go back and then to go forward a little bit he in 1896 his daughter susie dies of meningitis and so, this starts a, a rough period for him because then he loses a lot of people. Yeah. Um, his wife, Olivia, dies in 1904, and then his daughter, Jean, dies in 1909. Um, and yeah. then that same year, he, like, loses another one of his friends, and it's a rough period yeah. for him. Uh, and he's also starting to get a little older now, yeah. so he's entering a, a, a rougher phase. Uh he he does at this time though gets an honorary doctor of letters from Yale in 1901 and then he is honored with a doctor of law by U- the University of Missouri in 1902 and then another one by Oxford in 1907 interesting which is very interesting um in 1906 he forms the Angel Fish and Aquarium Club Are you familiar okay. with this Are you familiar with this no. This is a weird thing that he does. Okay.
1: It sounds to me, just before you describe it, it sounds to me like that episode of Bob's Burgers where they try to convince the tax guy that the aquarium is a church.
0: Not even close. <laughs> Not even a little That's bit close. That's what
1: it sounds like. Oh, yeah, right? for
0: sure. You you would think, no. Like so Girl it,
1: Scouts it, for aquariums.
0: Aquariums. No, <laughs> it's just uh for young girls that he views as surrogate granddaughters. Hmm. Yeah. Um <laughs> Uh it has about a dozen members from ages 10 to 16. He like it writes letters and then like takes these girls to um like cultural experiences, to plays and concerts and what? stuff like that. Like he has decided to sponsor a group of young girls Why basically. What's it
1: called that?
0: I have no <laughs> idea. And like this sounds really weird, but this is not Um, a super unusual thing for a rich person to do at the time, but But it
1: is, it is odd. Where did they all come from and why? I don't know. And why did he, I'm really hung up on the name and I'm confused.
0: Yeah. It's a weird thing. Like he turned... I don't know what, at this point, like, he's, he's nearing 70 at this point, right? Right. Or it's just past 70. And he has, I think, I think what it is, is that he had lost two of his daughters. Sure. And was wanting to help young girls, like, experience the world.
1: Yeah, and again, like you said, like, that's not really abnormal. Like, rich people would create these groups for young people to say, like,
0: Mm hmm I am your sponsor teach you and your how mentor. To like, live
1: in this world of.
0: Yeah, they were you know, their sponsors and mentors. That's what it was. <laughs> right,
1: basically. But I'm so confused about the name.
0: The Angelfish and Aquarium Club. Uh,
1: yeah. And him calling them his angelfish is weird. Yeah. Uh, and a dozen girls ages 10 to 16 from where? From, why?
0: I think it was just like wealthy New York families, probably his friends. I guess. Like, I have no idea. I have no idea. Okay. Anyway, that was that's just a strange thing. All right. Okay. So, like I said before, he was born 2 weeks after Halley's comet passed Earth in 1835. Yeah. So, in 1909, he yeah. says, and I quote, I love this quote. I do too. I came in with Halley's comet in 1835. It is coming again next year, and I expect to go out with it. It will be the greatest disappointment of my life if I don't go out with Haley's Comet. The Almighty has said, no doubt. Now, here are these two unaccountable freaks. They came in together. They must go out together.
1: <laughs> That's so good, man.
0: And then he was right, which is yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um. He dies of a heart attack on April 21st, 1910, one month before Haley's Comet passes Earth again. Yeah. He's seventy four years old when he dies. Wild, yeah. He sure he it brought him into this world and it took him out of it. Yes, it did. He and was he, the the fact that he called happen. it the year before is crazy to me.
1: Yeah, he
0: certainly had some kind of something, huh?
1: Yes, he absolutely did.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, his funeral is at Brick Presbyterian Church. Uh, he's buried next to his wife in Woodlawn Cemetery in Elmira, New York. Uh, and that's his life. That's, like, of Mark Twain. I could, I did not get into, like, all of his writing because that is typically not what this podcast is for. Um, sure. But, like, you know, he wrote his, through his whole life, very, very famous books. He had a really fascinating relationship with um, slavery and yeah. uh, abolition through his whole life, which I think that Huck Finn displays perfectly. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was, he, he was very anti-government. Like, he would have been a libertarian today, I think. Um.
1: I'm frankly shocked that just with the way things are in this country right now, that kids are still reading Mark Twain in school. uh Uh-huh. Um, I think part of it is adults not fully actually understanding what he's writing about. So, Mm -hmm. nobody tell them. Um, nobody tell the uptight <laughs> book banners Well, Huck, Huck Finn'll go
0: oh. Huck Finn'll go before Tom Sawyer does. Oh yeah, for Huck sure. Huck Finn is sure. already gone in some places, but I'm sure but...
1: honestly, it probably has at some points in time.
0: Mm-hmm. Um
1: I don't really know the whole history of the book and its reception Me in this either. country, but um you know, I'm shocked frankly that right now they have it waged war on them but again i think it's just because people are like well it's a classic and they don't Mm -hmm. actually know what it's about because that is also typical um (laughs) but
0: yeah Yeah. oh remind me because this would be a fun thing for you to post with this episode is i in my american lit class in college when we read huck finn uh we were asked to make a meme about the book Wow, um, and that I, isn't indicative I of know. the time that
1: you were in I school.
0: I uh- <laughs> Um but I made like two I couldn't pick one. I made like two I or three. This. And I did one it was like for a very small assignment. We did these like things on Fridays where we would like do something and then write like two paragraphs about it or yeah. whatever. So that was what it was. I like made it, I wrote about it, and then I added my extra ones at the bottom because I thought they were really funny. I and this. if I can find them, I will send them to you because okay. they are I think I'm hilarious. Well, you so. said
1: it on the podcast now. So now yeah, they're gonna have to find it.
0: They're quality. <laughs> Um, I, I remember which one I re- I ended up writing about, but then I also made another one because it was funny.
1: Yeah, I remember you doing that. Um, so, we'll try mm-hmm. to remember to get that posted. Yeah. Um,
0: gosh. But, funny. yeah, that's that's his life. He was I'm a fascinating we, dude.
1: I'm glad we talked about him because I feel like he's been on our list for a long time. Yes, he
0: has. I um, I went to the old list to yeah. look for something to do this week and picked him. Yeah. He did a million jobs yeah he traveled all over the world he wrote really interesting stuff he had fascinating political beliefs
1: yeah yeah. what a guy i need to reread like tom sawyer and huck finn
0: i I love tom sawyer
1: (laughs) (laughs) remember like i like this one Mm -hmm. yeah huck finn is also great Mm -hmm. um all right well good stuff amanda thanks Um, I have no idea what the next one will be. We'll just have yeah, to me see either. How it goes? We've got. I keep feeling like spooky season is next, but it's not. We're not. It's quite not quite yet. yet. Yeah. So we'll have to find something to fill in the time between. Ugh. <sighs> I just want it to be spooky season all the time. Um. Maybe we'll ramp up and do like spooky adjacent things. I don't know. We'll see. Um. But if anybody has any suggestions for topics they'd like us to talk about. Um, you can email us at rememberthatpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on threads or more, more likely Instagram at RTTPod. Um, and, you know, we're also on Facebook if you want to find us there. I don't know why you would, but you can. Um, and we would really love it if you would leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to this podcast. And if you want to find me on the internet, I am at the Real Anna Webb.
0: And I'm at ACW Nerdfighter.
1: Woohoo. Woohoo. Morning recording. Chuck.
0: Yes, indeed. I feel like apologies i Apologies in advance sleepy. if this is late. Yeah. yeah well,
1: well, it'll actually be, well, they can't hear this before it's late, so. It's
0: true. It's true. <laughs> so, um, I guess apologies after the fact. Yeah, I guess If so. it is late. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Well, until next time.
1: Remember that time.